would, please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're looking at verses 20 and 21. You would please follow with the reading of the Word. For I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish, and may be found by you not to be what you wish. That perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. I'm afraid that when I come again, my Lord may humiliate me before you. And I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have practiced. Father, help us to see this. Help us to see the heart of a pastor. And yet, Father, let us understand the urgency of the church. Uh, Lord, strange days. And, and yet, Father, you know exactly what's going on. And, and I pray that as we look at this whole section that will begins here and goes to the end of this letter, that, Father, you search our souls. Your Spirit, move on each of us, that we may understand the urgency of the day and that the temporal things are fleeting and the eternal are before us. To you, my Savior and Lord, in Christ's name, amen. Last week, I laid a foundation of going into this. And, and I want to kind of help you, help you understand something because we started in chapter 10 and we're rolling through this, the, the conclusion of the book. And it basically is dealing with what is spiritual warfare. Okay, Spiritual warfare is not what everybody says it is. Okay, it's speculations and lofty things raised up against the true knowledge of Christ. Okay, spiritual warfare is a fight for the mind. Okay, the, the thinking processes of people. That's what we are up against. Listen, that's what you and I battle. Okay, and what he's trying to get the Corinthians to understand is that the urgency of what they're doing and the battle that is before him and before them. This church broke his heart. But if you remember back when we were looking at chapter 7, we could see at that point in time that there was a movement in the congregation of repentance. They had received what is called the severe letter. Okay? And it broke their hearts. He had come back in a surprise visit to the Corinthians, and it was a disaster. They embarrassed him. People were making accusations against him, and nobody would defend him. So they had a group of men who had come in behind the Apostle Paul who were, they called themselves, the Greek phrase is a super apostles. And that Paul's just an apostle. But we are the super apostles. They were trying to discredit him. If we can attack his character, his integrity, or something to this effect, then guess what? You won't have to listen to him. That battle is still being fought today, people. If you have a man who stands on the truth of the word, they're going to attack his person. Because if I can discredit his person, then you won't have to listen to him. And listen, there's just not that many of them out there anymore. Okay, And I've seen this over and over and over and over again, is that let us attack the person. If for some reason we can get him discredited, then you don't have to listen to what he said. And then I'll give you some really good information. And that's what they do. And, and you know, I, I watch a lot of this. The church model today that exists today 
is that the church leadership is trying to make the congregation comfortable in society. That's what the church is doing. Right? That is not what the church is for. My job is to make you comfortable when you get to heaven. Alright? Because that's a different place. It's just like I started last week. I was dealing with the word repentance. How often do you hear that? Now, I've spent a lot of time traveling in Russia, and, and I understand people, when they get saved there, they don't say, you know, I came to Jesus. All right. They said, I came to repentance. And you don't hear that in the church in America. You hear it in India. You hear it in Burma. You don't hear it in America. And the reason I don't know why the reason is I gave you verses after verses after verses last week that showed you that repentance is mandatory. I mean, Paul talked about repentance. The apostles talked about repentance. Jesus talked about repentance. The Old Testament prophets talked about repentance. John the Baptist talked about repentance. It seems like there's something there we ought to pay attention to. But here's one of the things that I've learned. Satan wants to keep us stupid. All right? If you're saved, there's nothing he can do about it. Except keep you stupid. All right. That's the goal. That's the war that you're in. That is what theologians call sanctification. Verse 19 of this text, he says, all of you upbuilding. He wants to strengthen. That's what the Paul wants to do. How do you strengthen somebody? Well, you sanctify them. How do you sanctify them? With truth. And your word is? Truth. And yet, you know what? You're going to be hard-pressed to run into that anymore. And what happens is, we are so spiritually stupid that when someone comes in and tells us a lie, we smile and say, but that sounds good. And we don't ever hold it up. How does it look? How does it look in the light of Christ? And you know what? Listen, my faith isn't going to save any one of you. All right? Your faith is what's going to save you. Not mine. My faith will not help you one iota. So I might know a whole bunch of verses, but if I don't walk in them, what do you got? See what I'm trying to... You know, I watched a guy the other day. He was doing his Bible study on his phone. That's just not right. But anyway... And, you know, he's going along and says, you know, you should, he's trying to tell me that I, I need to load this thing up on my phone so I can go blind. And, and, and I, I said, uh, you know, he says, well, you get the app and it got puts a little notes and everything's on it. And all of a sudden he gets this queer look on his face. And I says, what's the matter? He says, my battery just went dead. And I was like, wow, great. My battery's still running. <laughs> I can color in my battery. How about you? <laughs> can you do that? Okay. And you know what? I don't care what the technology is. Uh, The the key is, is that when you read this thing, it's like my friend once told me, it isn't you mastering Scripture. It is Scripture mastering you. That's the battle. Because, see, when God saved you, He clothed you in Christ's righteousness. Okay? So how holy are you? 
Well, if you're clothed in Christ's righteousness, you're only as holy as Christ. All right? Here's the problem. If I keep you stupid, you don't know it. And that's where the battle is. Why? I want speculations and lofty things raised up against the true knowledge of Christ. What do we have today? I listened to a guy who is a student of the book. I've heard him. I've watched him. I know what he does. And he says, God created through evolution. And I sit there and said, what? Well, you know, there's a gap between verse 1 and verse 2. There ain't that big a gap. And, and he, you know, he gets to this big dissertation on the Hebrew text and all the rest of it. And says, then God's a liar. And he about fell out of his chair. I said, what you're telling me is death came before sin. God said sin came and then death followed. So which is it? Oh, I never thought of that. You might move out of the Hebrew words. What does it say? Jesus believed it was a seven day creation. You know what's weird? He was there. Okay, so if he believes it was seven days, I'm in. Okay, he's eyewitness. But I, but I, you hear this stuff all the time, and 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 I, it's it drives you nuts. These are spiritual leaders. You're making your people stupid. You're helping the father of lies. I don't, does anybody want to do that? Let's go help Satan. If you look at your text here, there are problems in the Corinthian church of unrepentant sin. Some of you were with us when we went through 1 Corinthians, and, and I mean, you, you just read it and you're like, well, this is goofy. I mean, it, it's, this isn't even theological. Right. But what happens is with false teachers, false teachers cater to the flesh. Okay, A false teacher wants to do everything he or she can to make you feel better. All right. Now, listen, I'm not running around trying to make everybody mad. All right. But I have learned in the past that if I stand on truth, I am going to run into some conflict. You know, I'm. Before I was saved, I was in conflict. So, oh well, at least I got on the right side of the conflict now. Paul's fear was concerning their sins. Okay, understand this. Look at their history. I mean, go look at 1 Corinthians. You just read through it and you're like, what? You're drunk at the Lord's table? You're bragging about grace because a man has his father's wife? Wonderful. Okay, I mean, this is the stuff that was going on in a church. All right, so if you think you're above it or you can't get caught up in it, remember who the teacher of this church was. The Apostle Paul. So... He has dealt with this congregation in detail. And then in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, verses 3 and 4, he had sent a severe letter because he had made this, like I had said, this surprise visit uh, and to confront their sins. Uh, he had already gotten a report back that these people were knuckleheads. 
And they were. Absolutely. I mean, they were lacking in no spiritual gift. Now, listen. Corinth was a nasty place. I I, I don't want to ever downplay it. Okay, they had a huge women lib movement and it used to be called to Corinthianize mean you were promiscuous. Corinth was set up for freed slaves could own property in the city of Corinth. They had a thriving harbor area and, and shipping was done a lot in Corinth. They had a lot of money and a lot of property owners and they were generating a whole bunch of cash. Okay, so it was flourishing. Okay, it had everything, but it was Greek. Uh, and, and I remember reading that the Roman military destroyed the Greek Empire and the Greek Empire destroyed the Romans morally. And I could get into some details of stuff that you just shake your head and think, well, you, you guys are really thinking that through, ain't you? Okay, but it, it was a bad place. And yet in the middle of this place, God put a church right in the middle of it. But what had happened is the Apostle Paul had gone on over to Ephesus and he had left the teaching foundations in place, but these false had crept in and they were all of a sudden saying, you know, I'm of Silas or I'm of Cephas or I'm of Apollos or I'm of, you know, let me show you who I'm supported by. And this would sway the people and then they would teach things that would encourage the rebellion. You know, I remember I was in Los Angeles a number of years ago, and I, the guy who has, uh, he's dead now, the, the, what was his, not the Crystal Palace. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. He, he, yeah, Crystal Cathedral. He was on a radio show, and some girl had called in, and, and she was divorcing her husband. And he said, that's just fine. He said, it's obvious it's not the one God had for you, or you wouldn't be divorcing him. So, you know, just make sure that, you know, find the one that God wants for you and go marry him. And I thought, What? And you and you wonder why it's so massive? Well, yeah, whatever you want to do. Have a blast at it. Paul states here, 12, 14. He's getting ready to come back a third time. In chapter 13, verse 1, he says, I'm going to come back a third time. He's planning his trip here. And he's afraid that when he comes back this third time, that they're being warned he's coming. He's afraid that he comes back that there will be unrepentant sin. Listen, unrepentant sin keeps you from growing. Okay? If you're not growing, you're not getting any stronger. All right? If the sin continues long enough, you become useless. You take up space. All right? Because there's nothing there. And it is our goal is to grow in Christ's likeness. I gave you Romans chapter 8 last week. Why were you saved? To be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So that people will see the reflection of the Lord and Savior in His people. And how great a God can take that sinful vessel and turn it into a holy vessel. That's sanctification, people. That's edification. That is strengthening you for the task that is at hand. And that's what we're about. And that's what the Apostle Paul. And Paul understood that there was a great potential, even though the majority of the congregation had repented. And remember 2 Corinthians 7, 
they had turned back. The severe letter had broke their hearts. Here was this man who had been with them for 18 months, house to house, day and night, not taking a red penny from them. Pouring into them the truths of Jesus Christ. Strengthening them. Understanding the community that they were in. You know that Castle Rock has one of the highest homosexual populations in the state? We're behind Denver. Did you know that? Kind of stunning, isn't it? When I moved to Castle Rock in the late 70s, it was a cow town. I mean, I remember a guy got mad at some guy because his bulls got on his cows and he dropped the bulls off downtown. And I was like, now there's something you don't see every day. But I, I like this place. But it's changed. And it's been very subtle and it's changing. Okay? This is the stuff that you have to be aware of. One of the things that I have watched is, if you want to see the politics go south, look at what the spiritual leadership is. Okay? Go look at the history of Israel. When Israel got a goofy king, what was the condition of a spiritual priest? They were as goofy as the king. They could be bought. Why? We want to make you comfortable in this world. Paul understood this. He understood it completely. And he had a, had a confidence in him that the repentance was real. Okay? But he also understood that the false teachers are still there. And the danger is still there. Let me tell you something. And, and if you know this, then act like you just heard it. Okay? Sin and error die very hard. They will put up a fight. Okay? Now listen, I want you to be aware of what I'm saying. Because I'm not talking about everybody else's sin and error. I'm talking about your sin and error. The things that you thought... It's How many wise men were there? Okay? I mean, you get all of this stuff that you hear over the years, and you know what? There's no biblical precedence. Where is that in the Bible? It's little things like that. And you say, well, well, it doesn't say how many wise men there were. That's right. It doesn't. It doesn't. But I can tell you this. There was enough that Herod was troubled. And he was so troubled he killed the first male born. That's troubled. Okay? But I also understand what the Magi were about. They were kingmakers. And when they traveled, they traveled with about 4,000 cavalry. And I also know that Herod's army was up in Galilee putting down a rebellion. And all of a sudden you get a whole bunch of wise men with 4,000 guys on horses and swords and spears and things like that. Uh, yeah. And they come telling you that we're here to anoint the new Jewish king. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now that's a political problem right there now. <laughs> okay. Because, well, when you find him. Bring him and I'll worship him too. <laughs> what else are you going to say? <laughs> I'm outnumbered. Go for it, dudes. But see, you get these kinds of things and we all think that we understand what's going on. But what you'll find is, is that your sin and your error puts up a tremendous fight. Because if it didn't, it wouldn't have taken a cross to save you. 
False teachers were still in the Corinthians. They were still around Corinth. Paul understood this. And he knew theological error in its subtleties will always lead to sin and the practice of sin. Because the theological errors are feeding of the flesh. The feeding of the flesh. He uses a word right here, verse 20, for I am afraid. It's the verb form of phobia. I am afraid. It has to do with an intense, a deep-seated anxiety. Misgiving. Okay? Paul had a fear. He had a phobia. A great concern. Why? Because he loved these people. And in verse 19, he says, I want to build you up. Chapter 11, verse 29, he says, Who is weak without me being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? What a great pain for a true pastor than an unrepentant sin in the flock of Jesus Christ. Listen, we all stumble. It, it, this isn't saying, well, you guys need to be walking on water. No. You know what? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to what? Forgive Him. Well, confess doesn't mean, okay, let's go sit in a little window. Oh, Father, 12 Hail Marys, and here we go. That ain't what it means. It says, yes, I agree. This is sin. Okay? Uh, it, it's, it's like pride. Okay? Pride is so subtle. And yet it just sneaks up on you. And if you're really honest with you, what did you do to get yourself saved? Nothing. You can't take any pride in anything. That's, that is one of the things that I want people to understand. How in the world can you have pride if you're saved? And you know what? Ain't a person in this room doesn't fight with it. And sometimes we get our lunches handed to us. Right? When a pastor sees these things, he just points them out. You know what? It's it's kind of thing. I remember early in my ministry, uh, I would get frustrated because I was dealing with the same people with the same problems over and over and over and over. And you're like, man, this is a whole new meaning to thick and lumpy. Okay? I mean, you, you just ain't getting it here. And then it dawned on me, that ain't my job. I pointed out. God deals with it. Alright? And once I got crossed that bridge, it was like, I do a happy dance every day. This is great. Because you know what? I can't change any of you. And you know what? I bet you dollars to donuts, God wouldn't like what I changed you into anyway. Alright? That's His job. I'm just going to ask you, where did you get that idea and from what Bible? I might ask you that. And you'll know what I'm talking about. Okay, because I, I do that to some of the pastors in town. Where is that in the Bible? And they know what I'm talking about. But see, they have to put up with me because I've, I've been here longer than them. So, tough. Alright, but see, this is the stuff that I want you to think about. But what he says next is he uses the word perhaps. Perhaps. You know what that means? The, the word in the original language has to do with a restraint. 
But it shows his tenderness. Shows his tenderness. Listen, he could easily walk in there with theological guns blazing and condemn the whole kit and caboodle. And you know what? He's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He'd have every right and authority to do it with. Okay? Even in the light of this third trip, he had these misgivings. He know he could be... He knows that when he sees them on this third trip, he's going to be able to determine their spiritual condition. I get into trouble with this. I can sit with a person a very short time and tell you their spiritual condition. Okay, it doesn't take me long at all. Part of it is the way God has gifted me. The other part of it is that I'm, I'm not new here. And, and yet you can kind of tell it pretty quick with a person. Now, there are some actors, don't get me wrong, but for the most part, you can tell it. And you do it when you're with them. All right? Paul understood that. Paul was going back the third time. He does go back the third time. That's when he writes the letter to the Romans. He's actually in Corinth. Okay? He wrote this letter, this letter, 2 Corinthians. He's writing it to give them warning. Hey, I'm coming back. Okay? You shocked me the second time I was there. Please don't make me shock you the third time. Okay, are you dealing with the sin in the church? All right, listen, I could tell you some stories that I have heard from pastors in this community that cause you to fall out of your chair. I'm not going to. But I just sit there and I look at them and I was like, what is it is your job? What is it you do? I mean, if you know this is happening. I've. Because we pass pot. <laughs> Since I, anytime I travel somewhere and I tell them from Colorado, they want to know about the pot. And I was like, yeah, I don't know about the pot. Anyway, we passed this thing, and I just shook my head. I thought, you know what? I'd, I'd have never thunk it. But anyway, they were wanting to get a pastors together to how to deal with the people in our churches now that they can smoke pot. And get stoned. So we need to know how to deal with our people. And I'm sitting there going, what? And, and I said, well, you know, you, a bunch of you guys are educated. You know what the word pharmakeo is, right? Where we get pharmaceutical from. It's always translated in the New Testament as sorcery. And if I'm not mistaken, that's never a good thing in the New Testament. I just, just oh, sorcery. There you go. Sign me up. You know, the people who go to the lake of fire practice sorcery. Well, they'll go stoned. But anyway, and I, and I just looked at him. So my first question was, how many of you guys ever smoke pot? None of them. All right. And they said, well, what are you going to do with pe people in your congregation if you find them smoking pot? I said, I'm going to send them to you. It's that simple. No. You don't smoke pot so your steak tastes better. You smoke pot so your Doritos taste better. Everybody knows that. Gee whiz, people. No. Altering your mind. You, when you do that, it's just like alcohol. At what point have you compromised your conscience? Do you know where that's at? Because I've never met anybody who knows where that's at. I mean, they'll tell you they know where it's at. But why'd you get picked up for drunk driving? 
Well, I got past my conscience. Guess so. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? This, you listen to this, you, we're not going to run around like a witch hunt and try to find everybody who's got a sin. All right, because I've already told you, you who are spiritual, see any brother in a sin, you do what? You know, you bear that heavy load. And it literally means when you load so much up on a mule, it can't walk. You get up underneath the mule and you hold the mule up. And if you're not willing to do that, keep your mouth shut. Okay, that's just a warning for me. Because we have an innate ability to say, well, I think you're in sin. Okay, then walk with me. Okay, that's what I want you to be understanding here. Okay, we all have things we struggle with. Get out and rush our traffic. We all walk in holiness then, don't we? Dude, I give anything for a missile launcher. I can fix this. Right? You see this today. The church doesn't confront sin. Church in the name of grace, in the name of love, says, go ahead, send your brains out. Let me tell you something. That ain't grace and that ain't love. Okay? Sin has consequences. The reason we should stop is that we, should, we shouldn't want those consequences. Alright? Paul was afraid to find the Corinthians were not to be what he wished. That's what he says right there. I come, when I come, I may find you to be not that I wish. Okay? See, the desire was to be growing in grace so that they would be strengthened to stand in the community, the society in which they were in, to be more Christ-like. That would be the repentance. Don't be like the world. Be like heaven. The thing is, is that that sin stops your spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is sanctification. And sanctification is always, 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 always hindered by unrepentant sin. Okay? If true, they were unrepentant, the Corinthians would find that Paul is not what they wished. He wasn't going to be sitting there quietly. See, that's love. But it's necessary. It's necessary. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 21? Point blank. What do you desire from me? The rod or gentleness? Okay? We think about the shepherd's psalms. Okay? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The staff is just what it sounds like. It's a hook. And you can just hook them around their little neck and bring them over and scratch their little ears. Make them feel all warm and fuzzy. The rod doesn't do that. It's got a big old knot on the end of it. That's for knocking the water out of things. Okay? I want to bring the staff and bring you up, scratch your little head, rub your little belly, and we'll just go off into the woods. Okay? I don't want to have to beat you like a redheaded stepchild. All right? That's the rod and the staff. That's what the shepherd does. He was point blank to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, and he says, what did you desire? The rod or the staff? Listen, the choice was theirs. If they repented... 
he would arrive and it would be loving and gentleness. If not, it would be discipline and a rod. And the Corinthians had been warned. The second trip that he went when they embarrassed him, they weren't warned. It was a surprise. Okay, now they know he's coming. All right, now, I've got some verses here I want to get into, but these are things that Paul had witnessed in his second trip. Okay, but you see, it's not an exhaustive list. I'll let you guys go look them up on your own. In Romans chapter 1, 28 to 31, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10, Galatians chapter 5, 19 to 21 is what does the flesh look like? And, and I'll be going back and forth out of that one. Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Okay, I, I just give you these because it's, it's not exhaustive. But it's typical. It's typical. I mean, oh, it's so typical. So many struggle with these very things, even as the Corinthians do. I mean, today we struggle with them. All right. What you have here in this text in 2021 is you have two basic groups. And I'm just going to deal with the first one quickly. The first grouping is the sin of personal conflict. Have you ever seen um, some people in church just don't get along? They always have something they're bickering about. If not, then you haven't been here long enough because I have. And, and basically what it is... It destroys the unity of the church. You, you'll get people who like to uh, talk too much. Okay? I'm sure that every one of you at some point in our relationship, I have annoyed you. Okay? But you know what? The feeling's mutual. At some point in your life, you annoyed me. Okay, but we still hold the unity of what's going on. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Okay, also in chapter 4, verse 13, Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's the unity. Jesus' high priestly prayer in, in John 17, verse 21, that, Father, that they would be one as you and I are one. Now think about that for a second. All right? But it's coming off of sanctify them with truth. Your word is truth. Why? So they will be as unified as, Father, as you and I are unified. And now you just think about it. Even as small as we are, that kind of unity? Really? All right, well, that was Jesus' prayer. But the thing is, we have fallen into the plan of Satan to be stupid. And so I don't know what God wants. It's, when I look at this first grouping, it's, it's a selfishness that is extremely, extremely typical. Well, I can't even, the problem is I have so many illustrations of this that it, it's just annoying. You look at the city of Corinth and how strange it was and strange the society was. Then I can look at Castle Rock and say, I can see some of the same things. 
Okay, now we don't have the temple of Diana where you can go have sex with the priestesses. I don't think we do. <laughs> I haven't been out lately. <laughs> maybe, maybe I don't. Maybe we do have that now. Uh, but we have we have the temple of Bacchus. Okay, what's the temple of Bacchus? Let's get drunk. Okay, we got those. The other thing that happens is that when you have a society like this, look at the spiritual leadership's spiritual condition. Okay. I know five pastors of Castle Rock who have divorced their wives for affairs. Okay. I know three pastors in Castle Rock have been run out of their churches because large sums of money sort of poofed. I don't think it poofed. It just was unaccounted for. Okay. That's in Castle Rock. All right. This isn't like, you know, we're just outside of New York City. This is Castle Rock. I've seen it a lot. This sin exists in Corinth. We've seen it in the first letter. Let's look at what he's talking about here because this is what he would have witnessed. All right? That perhaps there will be strife. Eris in the Greek. It means to contention. Contention. Conflict. Quarrels. Dissensions. That's what strife means. In Romans chapter 1, verse 29, it characterizes unbelievers. They are people of strife, contentious. In Romans chapter 13, verse 13, he says, avoid it. Avoid it. Contentious, conflicts. Have you ever run into those people who complain about everything? It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too light. It's too dark. It's too, you know... And, and you just shake your head and say, well, I don't know what to tell you. Okay? You know, I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I can tell you about a church that I preached at in Russia. And they had outhouses. And I thought, that, that, that thing there is a boot in January. <laughs> Everybody waits to go home. Okay? But I, you, you just listen to some of this stuff. Paul warned Timothy in chapter... 3 verse 1, that men will be lovers of themselves. Okay? Charles Spurgeon says that's the sewer pipe that the rest of that stuff comes out of. Now listen, Paul's not telling Timothy what lost people look like. You don't have to tell me what a lost person acts like. He's telling you this is the possibility of the church, that they will become lovers of self. Uh, Anybody ever see that in a church? All right. I mean, most church models now are because the people love themselves. And I want to be entertained. I want the master of ceremonies. To the Galatians in chapter 5, verse 20, he says that this strife is deeds of the flesh. It's what the flesh looks like. When he wrote Philippians... Chapter 1, verse 15. The strife are those who preach Christ from selfish motives. Fascinating combination, don't you think? I'm going to preach Christ from selfish motives, and I will create strife, contentions. Listen, they were warned about this. 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verse 4. Paul warns 
Timothy's in Ephesus and he says, false teachers will cause strife. And they do. Tells Titus that false teaching will cause strife. And it does. Chapter 3, verse 9 of Titus. Okay. He's already warned the Corinthians about this. In 3, 3 of 1 Corinthians. Quarrels is how they... You know, I had a guy describe it one time. He said, well, you know, if you put a bunch of infants together and they're just infants, all they do is sit around and cry. And once you grow them out of that, then it'll get better. And I've looked at some churches and I was like, it ain't getting better. <laughs> Why? Because you haven't dealt with it. You have to deal with it. There comes a time when you have to deal with it. There are people who call... Some of you guys have been with me a long time here. I've had to deal with it. We, we, you guys can all think of some people who have come through this congregation and all they did was stir up contention all the time. And I finally said, uh-uh. You ain't doing that. Okay. I, I remember a guy came and, and, and we, I told him he wasn't welcome here. And everybody's like, what? It's a church. No. Guy's a troublemaker. No, huh? And I haven't seen a change in it, so he ain't welcome. You look at the next word there, strife, is the word jealousy. Jealousy. It's zealous in the Greek. It's kind of a cool word, because zealous, it can be positive. All right? You can have a godly zeal. And it's the same word, zealous. Okay, I'll give you the verses that you can see a godly zeal in. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7, 7. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 9. And John's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 7. Okay, but that's a godly zeal and that's not the word he's used, using it here in this context. Okay, here in this context is the negative. It's a protective self-centeredness. Okay? It causes people to be suspicious of others, and everyone is their rivals. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. You, you, it manifests itself all over the place. Um, in the New Testament, uh, in Acts chapter 5, verse 17, <laughs> the high priest and the Sadducees were zealous, jealous of each other. Because the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. The high priests were Pharisees. They believed in a resurrection. And it was a protectiveness of contention. Okay, You see it in uh, Antioch. Unbelieving Jews raised up against the Apostle Paul in Acts 13.45. And again, in Romans 13.13, 13, Paul warned the Romans to avoid it. Jealousy. Avoid it. And again, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 20, it is the deeds of the flesh. So what I'm wanting you to understand right now is that if you're in a spiritual battle, you can tell whether you're winning or not. Do you have contention? How about jealousy? Because if you've got it, either of those, you're getting your butt whooped. James warned of jealousy was a mark of earthly demonic wisdom. 
in James chapter 3, verses 14 and 16. Okay? Next word you see there, angry tempers. Thumos, thumos, angry tempers. I will try not to make eye contact. No, just kidding. <laughs> it has to do with a violent anger, a, a rage, but it's, it's a little different than what we are used to. It's one of those that flares instantaneously. Okay? It, it's, it, you can watch people slowly get mad. Okay? That ain't this word. This is someone who's cruising along and they get cut off in traffic. Uh, it's, it's sort of like the thoughts. The other day I was coming down the hill on my motorcycle and this kid pulled out in front of me right off there by the railroad tracks. And he looks at me. I slide my motorcycle down and it goes down on the ground. And he looks at me and goes, I had an instant rage. If I didn't need to pick my motorcycle out of the middle of the street, I'd have jumped on the hood of his car. Okay, because, uh, you know, part of it is I should have just hit him right in the door. <laughs> but uh, it's that the just poof, all of a sudden there it is. And I know that none of us have ever dealt with that, but just me. But that's because I ride a motorcycle and people try to kill me. <laughs> okay, I'll give you a, a, a biblical illustration of it out of Luke's gospel. Chapter four, verse 28. Jesus goes into his home synagogue in Nazareth. It says that the reading of this word, it is fulfilled. And what did they, how did they respond? They wanted to throw him off a cliff. Okay? And they experienced thumas, instant rage. When Paul was putting Alexander the coppersmith, who made little idols in Ephesus out of business, and they started a riot because he was hurting Business, Acts chapter 19, verse 23, that riot was an instant rage. You know what? It's also described Satan. In Revelations 12, 12, he is in rage. And as always, chapter 5, verse 20 of Galatians, it is deeds of the flesh. Okay? And as always, the Apostle Paul tells us to avoid it. We shouldn't lose our tempers. All right? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, and Colossians 3, 8. All right? The next one you see there, there there's two that I'm going to hook together, disputes and disturbances. I'll do that a little later. I'm going to go over to slanders. Slanders is an onomatopoeic word. I just really had to say that. I, I just think that's cool to say. Automatopoeic. What does that mean? I don't know, but it's kind of cool. You want me to tell you how to spell it? Because I can't. <laughs> but anyway, but it's automatopoeic. Automatopoeic word means kind of like boom. Okay? It, the word means a sound. Okay? The word here is katalaya. It's used in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, of people who would speak Insults or evil reports. It's just, it has to do with their tongues moving. Okay. That is a good term for slanderers. Okay. In James chapter 4, verse 1, there's a verb form of this, kalaleto, and it means to speak against someone. Okay. 
Paul was worried and had warned the Corinthians not to associate with the term that he used is the same word is revilers. Okay, that's a slanderer. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 and 6.10. All right. And he contrasts it with the next word. Okay. Of gossips. Okay. Now, let me tell you the difference between these two. All right. Just, just so you know. Okay. The slanderer is very open. In public. All right. The gossip is quiet and kind of behind the back. All right. They're both doing the same thing, wagging their tongues. All right. The gossip word is actually speaks of whisperers. This would be the guys that I would call that want to be prayer warriors. We always want to pray for somebody. Did you know that they're having an affair? We should pray for them. You should have just keep your mouth shut and pray for them. <laughs> okay? Because there are some that will walk out in public and just open their mouths. Okay? But a slanderer will be open. And they both come out of the next word. Arrogance. We like to talk about other people because it makes us look better. All right? And we do it. And we'll do it and we'll disguise it as piety. I'm so holy, I would never gossip much. Right? And But you, I, I, because I've talked to people before, you know, they'll come up to me and say, well, you know, I, I have a burden. I, oh, wait, wait. I have a burden, Terry. I need you to pray about this. And my next word is, are you sure it ain't gossip? What? Are you sure it's not gossip? Because then they got to think about it, don't they? Why? And you know what? I love praying for people. I, I, I pray every day for every single one of you by name. Okay? I don't mind that. But I get a bunch of people every once in a while that say, but I saw, I don't care. I don't care. All right? It's no different than the guy who saw me coming out of the liquor store. I saw the preacher coming out of the liquor store. Wonder why he was carrying a ladder. That's where they sell ladders is in the liquor store. Everybody knows that. I bought me a ladder. This is my sobriety check. If I can climb up on a thing, I'm still sober. Right. You see what I mean? But see, they run around and try to get people to say, well, I saw him. Saw him what? He come out of a liquor store. Yeah. Why did he have a ladder? Okay. But see, they won't ever come to me. That's the gossip. That's the gossip. All right. It happens, brothers and sisters. And let me tell you something. He's talking to a church here. And one of the problems with unrepentant sin is listed here because out of that arrogance, that slanders and gossip, guess what happens? Disputes and disturbances. And it can get knocked down, drag out. I remember some guys one time, a long time ago, uh, I thought they were going to go to fist fight over 
Election, the doctrine of election. And I, I sit there kind of like, wow. I mean, veins are sticking out on their heads and all this other stuff. And I'm sitting there going, wow. And he says, well, what do you think you're going to do? I said, I'm running. I want no part of this. I'm into the peacemaker thing. You know, I'll run down the street and squeal. Okay. But they were, and I'm sitting there going, that's the disputes. Why? Because out of their arrogance, here it comes. All right. And they will have disputes and they will have disturbances. So the first problem that is caused by unrepentant sin is personal conflicts. These are personal conflicts here. These are people going back and forth with each other. They're tearing each other apart. All of this results in disturbances, and it all comes from their arrogance. The Corinthians were eyeball deep in arrogance. It was one of the haughtiest group of people. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, verse 18 and 19 of chapter 4, chapter 5, verse 2, and chapter 8, verse 1, all speaks of their arrogance. Okay, when you have arrogance and it's in leadership and it's driving the bus, you will have strife and jealousy, tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance and disturbances. You can bank on it. Now, if you're in a spiritual battle and you've got these things here that are showing your flesh is up, guess what? How do you overcome the flesh? Read the rest of chapter 5 of Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Just go on. All of those are completely abnormal to humanity. But the deeds of the flesh are easy. Why? Flesh feeds on. Next week, I will look at the second part of the problem that deals with unrepentant sin. Unrepentant sin. Remember, you're in the context. The theme that we're dealing with is chapter 10 through 13, right? A spiritual warfare. And this warfare is your heart and my heart. What does my heart say? And do I let the arrogance, the pride of life, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life, do I let those three drive me? Because if I do, you will have slanders, gossips, disputes, anger, arrogance, disturbances, strife, jealousy. Every time. Every time. And so, we'll leave from today and be on guard. And be on guard. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Lord, and I, and I just praise you that we do have the unity. We do. And Father, I pray for that unity to grow. I pray for more brothers and sisters to come and to be a part of it. The oneness that is the body of Christ that looks like the oneness between our Savior and our Lord and our God. Father, that'd be so awesome. Help us, Lord. Help each of us to rightly divide truth, to show ourselves workers approved. Father, help each of us to hunger and thirst for your, uh, your word. That, Father, that our hearts would be open to your counsel to your wisdom of the ages. And that, Father, even that, even as the Lord has taught us, heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never. Help us to be students. To you, my King, my Lord, my Savior. Amen.